they'd won two conference championships in, in 20 years. And I said, Murph, that's the AD. I said, we're going to blow this out of the water, man. When you go to coach, you, you can't emulate the last guy or the guy that coached you or, or anything of that nature. You, you have to have your own philosophy, your own core values, your own belief system. It's as rewarding as winning 10 games a year. It's watching kids change and watching their confidence change and watching, watching crowds go from nobody in the bleachers to a packed house. What's going on, everybody? I'm Max Price, and you are listening to the High School Coaches Club. Before we dive in, are you a member of the High School Coaches Club yet? It's free. It takes less than 90 seconds to sign up. And when you do join, again, that's for free. You'll be joining an extensive network of high school coaches, administrators, trainers, parents, and more uh, from around the country and the world. Uh, You can find that link in the show notes. Um, Members also get the High School Coaches Club weekly newsletter that always features some quick hits that can help you improve right here, right now. So again, that's in the show links. Go ahead, scroll down, click that join. Takes less than 90 seconds and it's free. My next guest is a Missouri High School Football Hall of Famer, but he's taken a super non-traditional route to that success. Usually a coach has some success and then he moves on and quote-unquote up to a bigger, better school, right? That's kind of the natural tendency or the thought process. This man, though, has done the total opposite of that. Time and time again, he takes over a winless football program, surrounded by a community that's obviously struggling to support it, and he turns it around. He makes them into winners. And after it's all built back up again, and the program has reached this new level of sustained success, oftentimes a level they've never had before, he walks away. He goes off into the sunset. And then he does this whole process over again with another different, yet also winless, high school football program. The man's name is Steve Airy, and he's now the head football coach at Mountain Home High School in Arkansas. True to his story, he took over the Bombers football program in January of 2020, so just about one year ago today which hadn't won a game since October of 2017. So that's two consecutive years of 0-10 seasons for the Bombers, plus some more. In his first year, they won a playoff game. I'm not joking. First year, takes a team that had lost over 20 consecutive games, and he wins a playoff game with them. So trust me, we can learn a thing or two from a guy who's done what Coach Ari has done. We're talking about hitting the weight room, building community support, changing the culture, uh, hiring brand new coaching staffs, and then obviously helping young kids grow into successful adults. His story is incredible. The lessons he shares are phenomenal. And we might be able to trace all of this success back to one single day when he walked away from coaching for good, or so he thought. Let's jump right into episode 15 with Mountain Home High School's head football coach, Steve Airy. All right, I'm here with Steve Airy. Coach, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Max. Uh, I'm really excited to have you on. You were recommended by a few people, and as I've been diving in this month and and getting recommendations, uh, there's a lot of people that have connections to West Plains High School, actually. And so you're you're one of, I think, three guys that I'll be having on the show over the next couple months from that had at least some connection to West Plains for a while. Oh, well, good, good. So uh, before we before we dive in, I wanted to ask because uh, in in doing some research for the show, I I noticed that uh, the schools that you've been at they're all within like two or three hours of the Ozarks, and I don't know if you've seen the Netflix special, uh, the the TV show The Ozarks, but <laughs> how often do you go to the Ozarks? You know, it's uh, I go over there frequently. My son is a musician, and and. Uh, Obviously, Lake of the Ozarks is a, is a place where a lot of people come in in the summertime, and it's a big, it's just a big tourist trap, really. People come in there and boat and party and, and do their things. So he's a musician, and uh, we like to go over there and watch him play at the lake a lot. So yeah, I, I don't have a big boat or nothing, but yeah, I spend spend my fair share of time over there. <laughs> it sounds like a, f- a fun place, or at least it looks like a fun place on the TV show, but we all know how TV shows can be. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to give you a chance. Um, uh, you're in Missouri and now you're in Arkansas, right? But in Missouri, you're a, a bit of a legend. And for those who, who aren't familiar with you, could you kind of take us all the way back, going way back to your high school playing days, start there, and then just kind of run us through how you got to where you are right now today? Well, I... Uh... I'm going to tell you a little bit about my my background. I'll, I'll, I'll throw one good story in there that I, I think is important for any any young coach. Um, I started in, in, at Thayer High School, so I graduated from Thayer, Missouri. It's a small class one, uh, kind of a 
Billy, Billy Weber's down there now. Uh, we, we went to high school together, played together, went to college, room together, played college ball together. But um, anyway, and we both kind of wired the same way. We had both ended up being coaches. But um, started at Thayer High School, went to Central Methodist University in Fayette, Missouri, got my degree, uh, played four years of football at Central Methodist. Um, and when I got out, I got my first job. Uh, and I don't ever tell anybody this. So when, when we talk about it, you're one of the first. I don't talk about this because uh, anyway, I got my first job at Mountain View Liberty. And uh, I was coaching three sports, making eight, $18,500. <laughs> there you go. Um, wasn't going to get rich, was I? But uh, <laughs> no. anyway, I worked my butt off and did everything I was supposed to do. And come come time to hire, um, principal calls me and says, Steve, we're going to recommend you for hire tonight. And he said, you've done a good job. I said, thank you. And uh, he comes back next morning. I'm teaching, teaching in the classroom. And he said, Steve, I tell you this, but you've been fired. And I was just heartbroken. I mean, just devastated. I just, I gave that town, that, that, that school, everything I had. So uh, what I did was I said, I'm done. I'll never teach a, another day. I'm done coaching. I'm done teaching. I went and got me a sales job. Uh, he was in West Plains. It was, it was a pallet mill, but I, was, I wasn't out stacking pallets or slabs or anything. I was, I was just on the phone doing sales. Well, it's about July 14th, 15th. And, and, and a guy comes in. He says, Steve, now I'm telling you, I'm done. I've checked out. I said, I'll never teach another day if that's the way they treat people. And uh, I said, he said, Steve, this place is getting ready to go under. He goes, uh, if you can find you a teaching job and a coaching job, you need to go. So I started looking. And about 24 hours later, I found a place in Willow Springs that, that would Went for an interview. They hired me right there on the spot. Um, but it's, it's so weird because I almost wasn't in this chair. I almost never coached a day in my life because I had – if that if I was done. I, I, I almost never, ever, ever put on the coaching shoes and the whistle. So, anyway, don't get discouraged if things go bad because it, the rest of it's been good. The, the rest of it's been great. But I uh, started my first job in Willow Springs, Missouri. Uh, had a program there that um, they hadn't won a conference championship in 30 years. They, they were struggling a little bit. I was young, did, didn't have much help, but ended up, ended up uh, winning a conference championship in four years, had multiple championships and district championships and quarterfinals and did, did a lot of good stuff there. Um, anyway, I was there for 16 years and I left I was one win shy being the all-time winningest coach there. So uh, I didn't – it's not that big a deal to me, but I had a chance to move my family to Mountain Grove, Missouri. They'd, they'd come in. I got a big raise, and I went over there, and we played them on the conference schedule. So I, I knew they had a little bit of talent. And I was getting a big raise, and me and my wife was going to move in there and, and put our family together and work in the same school district. So that, that's what we wanted to do. So uh, – Spent seven years in Mountain Grove. Uh, remember on the interview, we walked through the trophy case, me and the AD. And they'd won two conference championships in, in 20 years. And I said, Murph, that's the AD. I said, we're going to blow this out of the water, man. <laughs> so um, anyway, we went in there and won five conference championships our first five years. Uh, got a couple semifinal runs and never did get the championship game. But uh, long story short, I spent seven years in Mountain Grove. Went to West Plains, and uh, they had they had been the Ozark Conference for 14 years, and never won a conference championship, and had only won one game and or four games in four years. And I took that, and I went through I went through uh, you know a divorce with my wife. Just just wasn't really feeling very good. I, I needed I needed just needed something new, so went to West Plains, and. Uh, Anyway, like I said, it's a struggling program. Nobody wanted it. I took it, and we we ended up went up winning a conference championship in four years. I think we won two conference championships in seven seven years. And uh, anyway, we've changed the culture in West Plains. So um, then I retired out of Missouri after thirty one years. Uh, landed at Harrison, Harrison, Arkansas. I coached freshman football for a year. 
and this Mountain Home Arkansas job came open, and then now now I'm the head coach at Mountain Home, and uh, that that that's that's a whole new story. They they were on a 23 game losing streak, and and I had won one game in three years, and they won 13 games in 10 years total. So um, I'm I'm one of these guys that, as you can see, probably don't chase talent around, but I don't mind a challenge. Doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's one of the things that when I was kind of, you know, I, I, high school sports are funny because unless you're local, you usually don't know anybody else outside of it. I mean, you, you'll know some national coaches, I guess. But that's one of the things about this uh, experience doing this high school coaches club thing is that, uh, you know, I, you know, someone sends me a name. OK, here's Steve Ari. This is a guy you should know. Like, you've got to have him on. All right, cool. So then, you know, we, we talk, we, we set it up and then I start researching stuff and I'm like, you know, he's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, in Missouri, like he obviously has had a ton of success. And then I start getting into like the individual schools and it's like, all right, the the traditional path I think guys think of is, okay, I'm going to get really good at this school, build it up. Then I'm going to leave and I'm going to go to this bigger school, better school, build that up. Then I'm going to leave and go to you know, an even bigger, better spot. And so the idea is like, I'm going to go somewhere to make my life easier where I'm going to go have more talented players. But when I look through your career, it's like, no, you've done kind of the opposite. Like you take a program that's kind of, you know, bottom of the barrel, at least of the time that you come in there, you build them up. And then, you know, after they've found success for a while, you you kind of walk out and start at a new place where, again, back to the bottom of the barrel and building it up. And it's just a really fascinating thing because I don't I don't know that that's the trajectory most, uh, quote unquote, successful coaches take. You know, and I, I agree with you on that. And my mindset was exactly what you said, said in the beginning was um, I'm going to build it up. I'll move for bigger and better, more money, bigger program. I'm going to, I want my, pro, I want my status and, and my profile to grow. And uh, I just want to get better and better and better. Um, but somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, I think it was the divorce and, and, and just, you know, I had to have a change and I, I needed a job and I was willing to take anything. And I was single raising two boys and, and uh, I want to be close to my family because I was going to need some help. And uh, anyway, you just, I, t I took, took the job nobody wanted. And I'm going to tell you what, you talk about fun. That that's rewarding. It's as rewarding as winning 10 games a year is watching kids change and watching their confidence change and watching, watching crowds go from nobody in the bleachers to a packed house that's awesome i i highly recommend it it's i heard a coach say one time says well not when i get done winning championships i'm gonna go i'm gonna go to inner city kansas city and i'm gonna i'm gonna find the worst team in kansas city i'm gonna go coach right there he says that that's what i want to do and that kind of stuck with me it was uh, chip sherman from platte county and uh, he's won multiple championships and uh i thought you know what that's not a bad idea so uh, anyway, I'm I'm real confident. Um, I think I got a good plan to to make things grow and be successful, and and uh, it's all about relationships. And I'm sure we'll get into that. And but yeah, I went the other direction, but I I wouldn't change a thing. You bottom line is you you know it takes you a year or two to get it going. That's the worst part of it. But um, once it gets there, it's it's all worth it. Can you kind of? take a step back and talk about Mountain Grove High School and just for people who don't know anything about Mountain Grove High School can you give us the rundown where it is what the community's like what the school's like what the culture's like um first of all Max just in case Sorry, Mountain Home yeah yeah I was gonna say I'm gonna talk about Mountain Home where I'm currently got, at you got Mountain View then we got Mountain Grove Mountain oh, Home like oh my gosh no I'm Mountain, a mountain Home I'm yes a Mountain Man I guess I, I didn't know it till today <laughs> we want the we want the Mountain Home bombers give me the rundown on Mountain Home um, Mountain Home is located in in uh, Arkansas and it's in the northern part um, so you just kind of it, it's it's a lake it's a it's really a retirement area and. Uh, you know, obviously, I didn't know know the know it very well. I, I just know what I've been told. But um, the it's, it's a retirement community. Uh, kids like to be on the lake. Um, you, you got a socioeconomic. You got you got you got you got some money. You obviously have some people that don't have money. But you know, you, you get in there and you're told the kids don't work hard. The kids don't show up. Uh, uh, our closest game, we, we travel three hours to travel to a game. So 
uh, traveling obviously is brutal, but um, it's three hours to four hours every time you get on the bus. So anyway, they said, hey, we travel too much. We can't be successful. Um, we're all white. We can't be successful. Um, kids don't work hard. This, this isn't a football town. We can't be successful. And they, they give all these excuses. Um, and they haven't been successful. Like I said, they won 13 games in 10 years. And um, I'm sitting there thinking, well, I've coached 45 miles to the east, and I've coached 45 miles to the west. What's, kids can't be any different than those kids. They just can't be. So uh, that, that, that's how I went into it. And I said, you're not any different than anybody else. We're going to work like them. We're going to train like them. We're going to do what they do. We're going we're gonna to win football games and and uh, that, that's our goal right now. And we're, we're going to change it. We're going to win football games. And we're, we're going to watch this whole thing turn around. Well, when you when you took over, I think one of the, the big things that you probably obviously saw or what I'm hearing from you is this idea that there needed to be, especially within the football program, there needed to be a culture shift. Right. You needed, to, you needed to find a way to turn that around. So you took over probably probably about a year ago this time, January 2020 ish, probably. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, so you, you walk in, what, what, what were some of the first things that you did when you, okay, you're hired, Steve, you're the new coach. Here we go. What'd you do? Um, first thing, first thing is, is, is you, you, get, you, this, now this is my mindset, right, wrong, or indifferent as I'm sitting there thinking we have to change everything. So I have coaches interviews and they've all have excuses why we're not winning. And every one of them is an excuse. It's an excuse. Um, nobody says it's my fault. You know what I mean? If, if we don't win, it's my fault. I'll, I'll, I'm going to look in the mirror and say it's my fault. It ain't the kid's fault. It's not the bus ride. It's not that we're too white. Um, it's my fault. So anyway, um, I, you had to change everything. So uh, kid, kids got to know there's a new sheriff in town. Uh, it ain't going to be the same as the way it's been. It's, it's so you, you put different paint on the walls. You, you, you try to get uniforms. You hire some new coaches and get some new faces in there. Um, things they've had for tradition. Um, <laughs> you got to change that. I want to go back to that. Uh, signs on the walls, pregame stretch, pregame chant, whatever they've done in the past, pregame meals, burn it, get rid of it, do your own thing. So I, I went in there and I said, now, how, what, what do you do? How do you do it? So I'm, I'm making notes saying, we ain't doing that. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. And you just change everything. I believe uh, you put your stamp on it. But uh, I went in with coaches' interviews, player interviews, and I'd ask the kids, hey, what's the problem around here? And, uh, you know, everything's the same. It's all, they, they were wired that way. They'd heard it from their parents. They'd heard it from their coaches. You're playing against three Division One guys tonight, and you're not good enough, and or they're going to score 50 on you. You just you gotta you gotta give your kids confidence. Had a guy one time tell me um, three things to be successful. Dick Wilson in Oregon, Brookings, Oregon, uh, said uh, mindset, work ethic, confidence. You got you got to have those three things. So we work on those three things all the time. I got off on you, didn't I? Got off on a. <laughs> well, not at all. I think it's important. I think it gives people a chance to kind of see the thought process, right? It's it's really different from taking over a program that's been, I don't want to say like great, really successful, but if there's a program that had been, you know, maybe they're winning, they're getting the playoffs, but it's not, they're not making runs at championships or or maybe things like that. When you take over a program like that, obviously you're you're not going to burn it down. You're going to figure out what worked and keep some things. And I think it's important for people to hear because a lot of coaches, especially their first opportunity, I mean, not every coach is going to choose what you've done, which is to go to become real successful and then and then take over a program that's been struggling. Um, it's it's harder, I think. Um, but I think it's important because a lot of high school coaches, for many of us, their their first job's going to probably be as a head guy uh, with a program that might not be super successful. And then you you know you kind of you have to prove yourself there. 
right? And then once you prove yourself, then who knows what opportunities come about. But I think it's important for people to kind of hear that process that you had to go through because you weren't taking over a program that had been successful lately or even had tasted success in a number of years. Like you said, what, 13 wins over 10 years. I mean, that's a program that's that's failing, right? And, and, every, so, and every coach that had gone through here has been a loser, except for well, that's, 1988, that's, 89. Uh, that's what I wanted to really get into is like, so – it's it's it becomes a community project then right because you're you're trying to change the mindset i mean you mentioned change the mindset right you're trying to change the mindset not just of coaches that were there but probably teachers that were there probably the community members the parents the the kids obviously the administrators like that's a that's an entirely different situation than going in and, and taking over a program that has had success absolutely um and when I said loser a while ago, I don't mean these men are losers. I mean, they're, they had losing records. They, right. they, just, yeah, yeah. they just haven't been successful there. Um, but what I, what, I, what I try to do is uh, I, I try to get the whole town involved, you know, with this. I, I have to get buy-in from everybody. I need, I need people drinking the Kool-Aid. I need people talking positive at the dinner table. Um, I, I want everybody to know who I am, what I'm about, and what we're getting ready to accomplish and uh, I want them to get on a Steve Airy bandwagon and, and confide in me. And, and then I'm going to ask a lot of them, you know, you, you set expectations uh, for your players, but, but you have to set them for, for everybody else too, especially the parents. I, I expect your kid to be here at 7 a.m. And I expect him to walk through the doors in the summer and get off the lake. And um, I expect him to work hard, and, you know. But, but you, you had those expectations. I've got to, got to travel all around the community. And like I said, I, I do a lot of communities, get my community really involved. And I think that's an important part of changing culture. I, I picture you when you took over having a you know big auditorium and just packing with the parents and just telling them how it's going to be. What, what was that actually like? How did you, you know, changing the culture with kids and stuff? That's one thing. But how do you how did you go about communicating with parents after you took over the program? You know, um, social media is probably the easiest way to get a hold of them. When I first got in there, um, I really didn't get a chance to meet with the parents because of COVID-19. That's right. Yeah. So we, we hit it through a Zoom meeting and uh, I introduced myself and talked to everybody. And um, we have we, kept, we have an app called Remind. So I, I type out a few words and I remind parents of everything that's going on well. This is when I want you to take your vacation in the summer is, is these two weeks. Um, or this is when your kid needs to be in the weight room. Or this is when football camp is going to be. So Facebook, I use Facebook, but I, I try to keep those parents engaged through social media mostly. And uh, anyway, that, that, that's been the best thing for me. But I remember we had a meeting. We had a meeting uh, every year I put on a big fundraiser. And uh, we really struggled whether we was going to do it or not because we didn't need a lot of people. Uh, it, it's, it's just a sign of the times, you know, social gatherings and, and large, large crowds is something we don't want to do. But we had a meeting in the gym uh, to set up our fundraiser. And what, what it is is auction, steak, dinner, banquet. And it's, that's, my, that's my biggest fundraiser of the year. But um, I, brought, I brought the parents in, I, you know, again, kind of, put a name in a face. They get to see me. I get to see them. I, I get to blow and go on how, how we're going to change this and what we're going to do. And I just told them, I said, I need you guys to come up with auction items, cook the steaks, set the tables, buy the items. Um, I need all of you. I need all of you to jump in and help. And uh, I said, you guys, you guys build the empire and I'll build the army, you know? <laughs> and uh, that's what we're doing. I mean, we're all engaged. We're all hands on deck, and it, it's a it's a community type of deal right now. And my football team is in my community. We're all intertwined together. Yeah, so we're building up the players. We're building up the parents. So then let's let's get into the coaching side of things. So you had you know you took over a program. You mentioned a lot of the coaching staff that was there as you came in. Um, much like much like a lot of other people, kind of provided excuses rather than you know more of an ownership based approach to things. So what was that process like where you had to come in and you know you had to make coaching changes? 
Uh, where'd you find guys? How'd you find them? What were you looking for? What were the discussions like with the guys who were already there? Can you kind of dive into the the coaching regime change that had to take place when you took over at, at Mountain Home? Well, uh, Dr. Jake Long, he he did a good job when I came in. I said, I said, Doc, I, I need a couple guys. I, I'm going to need a little bit of help. And he says, I think he said at that time, Steve, we have we're going to be able to hire you two two positions. Um, our junior high coach is getting ready to go preach, take a full time preaching job, and uh, you're going to get a high school guy. And I said, okay. So anyway, there's it's January, and I guess a guy named Ryan Mallett. Had, had been in, in town and was moving to the area and said he, he might be interested in coaching. So I'm thinking, okay, Ryan Mallett, Hawk, Arkansas Razorback legend, NFL quarterback. All right, I, yeah, I could use this guy. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. He's going to – kids are going to come out and play for him too. They're, he's going he's gonna to be a recruiter. Everybody wants to be around him. Oh. That's a good there's point. No, that, yeah, the added no, part of having an NFL guy in there, like to change culture, like what a what a good get that would be, right? Oh, uh, and you know, Arkansas doesn't have any professional sports, so if you're a Razorback, I mean, you're it. You are it. It's like being Patrick Mahomes of that state, you know, um, like Patrick Mahomes is to Missouri. You know, it's, everybody knows him. Everybody knows what he looks like, and so uh, anyway, and it's it's. It's January, early February, and I'm saying, Coach, I know you're not hired on by the school district, but, hey, you, you want to get out and start spinning the ball with these guys a little bit? I just – I worked with his uh, cousin over in Harrison, got his phone number. He goes, oh, yeah, Coach, I'd love to come in and throw some balls with the kids. So he starts showing up every day just like he's just like he's on staff, you know, just like he's part of the school. And uh, together, you know, we're – we're, we're, we're running these kids and we're running routes and, and we're working them in the mornings in the dark with the lights on and we don't have an indoor like everybody else has. So we're getting frost on our feet and out in the rain and whatever we do, we're getting it done. But, uh, so anyway, we get coach Mallet on board and, uh, later on, um, uh, guy named Darren Ackland shows up and Darren, Darren's a Missouri guy. Him and I had played against each other a lot. He was at Mountain View, place where I started and got fired, remember? <laughs> uh, but he'd, he'd won 130 games or something over there. And, and I don't know how, but I got a chance to hire him, so I did. So now now I got Coach Mallett. He, he wasn't certified to teach or anything at that point. So I got an NFL guy, and I got a, a great coach out of Missouri. And then uh, I'm thinking, I need, I need a junior high coach. And uh, I replaced a guy over at Harrison named Greg Crow, and uh, I think he hated me. You know, uh, he he was someplace else, and I had his job, and you know, he probably wanted me to lose. And it, but I watched his tape and stuff. I knew this guy was a great coach, and I walked in, and the kids loved him. I thought I need this guy. I don't care whether he hates me or not. I'm gonna hire him. <laughs> He's a good coach. So uh, I got Greg Crow, and then I got, I got a guy that played at Arkansas State by the name of Brett Schrabel. But I, I I ended up getting four new guys. Make a long story short, I ramble there on you, but I got four new guys and and they all came in. They've been great assets. And uh, talking a little more about the coaching and implementing the coaching, I, I want to add this to it. Um, first of all, you got to hire the best coaches you can. Forget the loyalty. Forget the friendship. Um, Forget that you're going to church together. I mean, I mean, you, you can't operate like that when, when you're walking into a, a program that is at the bottom of the barrel. Um, you have to find some guys that that are football coaches, you know. And uh, that, that's all that they want to be. They aspire to be head coaches. That's their dream is to be a great football coach. you you got to have people on staff that want to be a great football coach. I really believe that. Um, I want to hire guys that are smarter than I am. I, I consider myself a defensive guy. So I, I want a guy that's very good on the offensive line. I want a guy that's very good in the defensive secondary. And I want a guy that calls a great game. I want I want coaches smarter than me. Um, always let your coaches coach. You don't bring them in there to be micromanage them and chewing their butt. And 
acting like acting like they can't coach. You you let them guys coach, um, give them a spirit, freedom to express themselves and, and coach and um, loyalty, honesty. And again, I always say encourage their, their growth as a coach. You you want to build a coaching tree as a head coach. You want guys to come under you, grow and and spread their wings and fly. I mean, I I really think that's important. You, they know right from the get go. I'm not going to have you long. You're going to want to be a head coach, and I I support that. I think that's how we make the. I think that's how we make high school sports better for more student athletes, right? Is that I think our one of our main goals as head coaches. You, you mentioned a few in there that I, I want to dive into, but the, the the last one is really special, I think, because it's really easy to hire a guy, and you're, you feel like you're hiring him to be with you for as long as you're at that school. But I think as coaches, it's our as I should say as head coaches, it's our job to have have small egos, allow guys like you said smarter than us to come in, let them do their job, don't micromanage them help them obviously along the way, but then ultimately like you, you want them to leave. And that sounds really counterintuitive probably to some people, but you want your good coaches to be good enough to leave and go become head coaches somewhere else. And it makes our job harder, right? Cause then we've got to hire someone new and replace them. But I think it's really important because, uh, you're trying to build, like you said, you're building a tree, but even, even beyond that, you're building a network of coaches who hopefully through the experiences with you have maybe become a little bit better people, maybe a little bit better humans, uh, maybe a little bit better coaches too. And then they go off and they can affect uh, more high school kids. And the process just keeps going around and around and, and the network grows and grows and, and more kids are affected in a positive way. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I want, I wanted to share with you real quick. It, you know, when I sat down there and started doing those coaches interviews, you know, I had about 15 questions. I didn't make them too long, but I remember asking the guys, I said, uh, what's your passion? What's your favorite sport? And they're all coaching different sports. As coaches, you do that. Sometimes you have to coach track or baseball or whatever. And uh, there was very few of them that said football was their passion. You know, that, that stuck with me. It's like, oh, we don't, we're not very passionate about football, probably because they've not been real successful. Yeah. But, uh, hey, I coach, I consider myself a baseball guy, you know, that, that was the, that was the reoccurring theme around there. And, uh, obviously I kept a lot of those guys on and they're doing a great job, but, um, anyway, that just, it just, that, that's another thing about the coaching aspect of it is you, you, you gotta find some guys that they, they, they have to love football. Yeah. And, and I have found as well that it's, it can be really hard sometimes to find coaches that fit. Um, you have in baseball, it's a little bit different. So I coach baseball and, um, say me and another guy have a difference in opinion on bunting. Uh, okay. Big deal. I mean, in the, in the effect, in the long term run of a high school baseball program, a kid might lay down a bunt four or five times. Uh, okay. Whatever. Like we can get past that. In football, from the outside, I, I don't coach football, but from the outside, it, it seems that you have to be much more aligned, right? Um, and I, one of the things that that I know you're a proponent of is is playing to your your player strengths. Absolutely. Um, how how does that change? I've, I've always wondered this, and I figured I've got a Hall of Famer on, so let's ask him. Um, I'm just thinking in my mind. This might be too simple or pedestrian, so you can feel free to make it more complex if you want. But say, you know, you've got your varsity program, your kids, and maybe it, it, it lends itself more to a team that's going to maybe offensively, let's say, uh, throw the ball around a little bit more. Maybe we go down to one of your lower level teams, maybe even the JV team. And for whatever reason, maybe maybe running the football makes more sense there. How do you kind of reconcile that? You want to play towards kids' strengths. Ultimately, they're going to be varsity football players. Are you are you finding yourself changing, you know, how you run? To, or maybe, maybe you want to focus on defense because that's where you kind of focus more. Do you find yourself changing schemes year after year based on your personnel? Uh, are you trying to fit kids within that? Like, how does that whole process work? Because I've always been kind of fascinated by it. It's so different from baseball. I had a kid uh, message me last night. He says, Coach, what's your plans for me? And I said, I don't have a plan for you. You, you better come up with a plan. You, you better show up strong and you better be able to run. You, you better better put on some lean muscle. Um, I said, I don't have a plan for you right now. You're, you, you're going to execute the plan and, and then I'm going to put you where you need to be. But now that's, that's just kind of what, what I do is 
I'm an evaluator. I sit around and watch these kids every single day, and and you and you try to make them bigger, stronger, faster. You want to see who's tough. You you want to see who takes their work serious, and and then in the end, um, you get out and you work skills with them a lot. And it's hard to be. And this is this is what I found. It's hard to be a really good receiver and a really good defensive back. Some guys are really gifted that way, but um, it's hard to be real good at both. So what I've, what I've kind of done is, is busted it up. Um, a lot of, a lot of teams play guys both ways. I'm going to, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm going to try to go offensive team, defensive team. Now in the summer and August, we're all going to learn the offense and defense. If you're number one on offense, you're probably going to be a number two on defense and, and vice versa. But, um, we're really trying to just build a skill set with all these kids. And by the time we, we get through August, we, we kind of say, okay, these guys are our best receivers. So they're going over here. These guys can run, but they can't catch. They're going to defense. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I like to look at the basketball players and say, okay, those are, those are our athletes. They're, they're, those are our skill guys. And, I take uh, the outfielders on the baseball team and say, okay, this guy can track a ball. He'll be a good defensive back or a good receiver. But um, you just constantly, constantly mauling things around in your head. It's all I think about is football and uh, trying to put these kids in the best situation you can put them in. And I, I really don't groom them for this or that other than other than the quarterbacks. Quarterbacks got to throw a lot of balls and, and get good at it. And you're always looking there because there's not very many good ones out there. Everybody thinks they're a quarterback, but to be an elite quarterback, be really good, you usually have one of them, and that's all you have. So, uh, anyway, that's kind of my take on it. The, the quarterback thing uh, is so true. So, like I said, I don't coach football, but obviously I've been around football a long time, and our school obviously plays football. And in a lot of years, it seems like if, if you, there's a really talented quarterback – the team's going to naturally have a better shot at doing well. But like you said, there's a lot of times where there may not be a really talented quarterback and you've got to build a team that fits that. How do you, how do you go about making changes if, if maybe you realize that you're not going to have a quarterback who's maybe going to be able to throw the ball around as much as you'd like? When do you kind of make that decision to start looking at the, the game planning and how you might change the schemes your, your team operates is it a long-term thing where you're you're realizing it maybe when a kid's freshman year, you're thinking, man, three years from now, I don't know if we have a quarterback. When do you start kind of making scheme changes? You know, we're already we're already doing that. And uh we've not had one day of practice yet. So, you know, the the kid we had last year, Bryce McKay, was an extremely good athlete. I mean, so our our best offense was 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 read game. So we're running counter read, power read, uh zone read. But giving him the option to give her, and he, he's reading, he's reading an end or reading a linebacker, and he's always got the option to run the football if they give it to him. And uh, so we ran a lot of read game last year. Now we're we're gonna we're gonna have a couple guys playing quarterback this next year, and we don't know exactly how that's gonna go. But I don't think the read game is gonna be as big part of our offense. I, I think we're gonna rely a little more on our offensive line and uh, throwing skills. These kids. Hopefully, you're going to get better throwing the football. That's that's what off season's for, and who knows? Maybe they'll they'll take off. But uh, right now, we're already thinking things are going to be different. Just just from the athletic standpoint, Bryce was was a freak athlete, and uh, the two guys we have coming in are are longer, taller, probably going to be more thrower type quarterbacks. But they're going to be young and experienced, and we're, we're going to have to we're going to have to rely on that. Those guys up front, I think that they, uh, when you're reading people, you don't have to block them. We're going to have to block them this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we talk about work ethic and high school coaching, and one of the things that I found that that has bore out to be true almost every single time, I, I mean, I'm t probably 99% of the time, when a kid comes in freshman, maybe even sophomore year, you can kind of see his trajectory. Um, you talked about being an evaluator earlier. You, I mean, you can kind of see where that kid's going to go. Um, but there's also other kids who make significant changes. And I'm thinking specifically via the weight room. If, as far as baseball goes, we see a lot of difference between a sophomore and a junior 
in terms of when they make, they go through that summer and they come back that next year in the fall and go through fall workouts and guys who really get after in the weight room, who they were as a sophomore baseball player is almost non-identified. Like you can't even tell that they're the same kid, right? Because they've made so many changes in their junior year, they've matured and they're, and they're just, they're just different. Um, the weight room in high school sports, I think still, even though it's super valuable, I think people know that is still, I think the absolutely number one, most undervalued thing that coaches can do to get their kids better. Can you kind of dive into the weight room aspect of things and what you guys do, um, what your school does in terms of weights, what your program does in terms of the weight room, um, how you're trying to get kids bigger, faster, stronger, because ultimately like, I think the most gains are probably going to get made in the weight room. You're, you're spot on. You're 100% correct. Um, I tell my guys, we're, we're going to see what we do in these next nine months to determine what we do next, next fall. Uh, we're we're going to win games today, not in August, not, not in September. We're going we're gonna to win games today, February, March, April, May, June, July. Um, that's where ball games are won and lost. And it's right here in the weight room. You're exactly right, coach. You're exactly right. Um, what I try to do with my guys is uh, we do a little periodization with them. You know, obviously when you start school, you're in football season, so you're in a maintenance phase. And then uh, we come out of, out of football season, we're going to go to a volume phase uh, where we're trying to get bigger. So we're going to do a lot of repetition, um, try to get – see if we can't get five or six pounds on these guys. We don't, we don't, we don't want to put table muscle on. We want, we want good weight. So we're, we're really blasting and trying to get them to grow. I'm uh, going to come back in January, and we're going to hit a little more volume, but I'm going to add some strength training in there a few days a week as well. So they're getting a heavy bar, trying to get stronger. Um, I'm going to throttle it down a little bit in the spring because I, I want most of my guys playing a spring sport. I'm, I'm, a multi, I'm an advocate of multi-sport athletes. Um, if they're not playing baseball, I want them running track. And obviously it's hard to do heavy squats and heavy legs and and you're, and you're trying to run run a 100-meter dash and pulling hamstrings and stuff. And then um, summertime, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna try to get into let's, – let's, let's get skilled. I mean, everything we're doing, we're, we're going to try to get more skilled at what we do, get ready for football season. But uh, one of the things that I do in the weight room, and I, I think everybody has a little different plan, but, but my favorite plan is, is uh, just trying – to train our kids like athletes, not not like bodybuilders or whatever. The, the baseball coach that they want their kids not all thick in the chest. They want to they want them swinging bat and stuff, you know. And the track coach doesn't want his kids all thick in the chest and all bulky and you know walking down the hallways like a like a sumo wrestler. He he needs guys that can run. So one of the things that we do is we we kind of do it like this. We're gonna push. Pull, squat, single leg. So let's say most days I'll give six lifts. If we do one push, we're going to do one pull. If we do two push, we're going to do two pull. Uh, if we're going to do squat for the hamstrings, we're going we're to do single leg for the quads and then vice versa. If we front squat, we're going we're gonna to do single leg with our, with our hamstrings. But keeping the body balanced and having a, having a strong core, throwing a program out there where you hit everything, um, you you have to you have to have flexibility. You have to you have to work on your, your speed development. You have to work on agility and change of direction. Um, you have to lift weights. You have to have a good core. And you just go on and on and everything you need. And, and the, the other thing you have to hit is nutrition. I mean, you, you're if you're not going to eat eat good and you're not going to drink water and you, you want to be a sweet tea guy, it ain't going to work for you. So that's kind of what we do in a nutshell. And obviously we're going to mix up our sets and reps when we get into volume and when we get into strength. But I want my guys looking like athletes. I don't want them looking like bodybuilders. Um, I want them to be lean, just like a cheetah. I think it's, I think his name is Zach DeCan. I might be wrong, but there's a, a kind of a baseball guy who wrote a book um, kind of a, uh, strength training book called movement over maxes. And it sounds really 
similar to what you're working with with kids in Arkansas. Do you guys, it's it's so different at different high schools. Do you have a strength and conditioning coach at Arkansas? Is there a PE teacher who teaches weight classes, or is it entirely up to the individual head coaches of sports programs? I think it's. I think every school's different, and every coach uh, has a different plan. Um, I think a lot of schools are going to go to the point of having a strength coach. I, you know, that's that's what I told my son. He he wants to coach and says, well, I guess I'd be a PE teacher. Well, okay, but I'm I'm afraid these these schools are are going a little more like the colleges. You know, college always tends to trickle down, whether it be offense, defense. You know, we we steal our stuff from from colleges. That's what we do. Um, the whole thing trickles down, and I think at some point people are already doing it in the cities. Is hiring guys that's going to train your kids and make them great athletes. And then you take an old old guy like me, you know, um, I haven't done the the modern methods and the and the new teaching, you know. Everything changes. You, you can tell through technology and just things change all the time. It evolves, and, and, and you, you, I have to adapt to that. I, I really do, and I, I can do a better job. But I think I think it's going to go to that. Um, but every every town's a little different. I'm right now in charge of the weight room, and then I have a guy. Uh, named Brett Schrabel that I put a lot on him. He, he's really good at it. So I'm going to, I'm going to use that resource as well. So, you know, my title is my, my title is strength coach, but I got coach Mallet. He's, he's working uh, plyometrics, uh, flexibility and core coach. Acklin's got a group. He's working speed development, change of direction, um, med ball tosses, all that stuff, explosive working and, Coach Schrabel and I do the way room. So I think it makes a lot of sense that in over time high schools move more towards having a certified strength and conditioning coach whose kind of sole job is to build programs for the teams, uh, in addition to individual programs for individual players. Um, like you mentioned, I mean, as a high school coach, there is so much on our plate, right? And then to also add on, if if we're the guy that's kind of responsible for making sure our kids are also getting bigger, faster, and stronger, um, like you mentioned, it's really hard to stay on top of the changes. I mean, things change all the time. There's way more data. There's more research. They're you know learning all sorts of things, and it's changing like at a rapid pace. I think it makes a ton of sense that they we we would move at the high school level towards a future. I don't know concept of having a certified strength and conditioning coach at every school who would be kind of in charge of these things. Cause it's, I mean, it's a lot. I mean, you're trying to keep up with, with everything that's changing in football and, and staying on top of your team and evaluating players and everything. And then you add on top of that, you also need to be a strength and conditioning coach for your, your team and individualized programs for players. Um, it's a lot and it's a lot to stay on top of if you want to also have any sort of life outside of football and, and be there for your family and stuff. It's, it's a ton of time that goes into that. It is. And I think if you did it right, you know, obviously if I'm a strength coach in a lot of schools, I don't just have football players. I have the, right. I have the girls basketball. I, I have the volleyball. Um, I know at West Plains, I would have 200 kids a day. Easy, easy. Maybe, maybe more like 300. And uh, so you, you have all these different kids and different workouts and, this guy's got game day. This this one's on in season. This one's in off season, and and then you're trying to coach on top of that, you know. So you, you're right. I, I think it's a good idea. Um, I like it because it gets me out of teaching history or something, you know. <laughs> That's true. I mean, I like it for me, but probably for the sport, it's it's best to probably have somebody that specializes in strength and conditioning and speed development. Mm -hmm. Well, you guys spend a lot of time in the weight room. Yeah, yeah, you have to. And how does that? How have you seen that help you build leaders out of high school kids? I think I think the number one thing is uh, just walking through the doors. That 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 changes everything. It puts everybody on a playing field just walking through the doors. And uh, some guys do it every day. Some guys do it eighty percent of the time. Some guys don't do it very much or near as much as they should. And uh, that's that. That's where I like to go back to my parents. If if you, if if your kid is sleeping in, and you know he's supposed to be in the weight room, why do you let him sleep in? Get get him up, get him to the weight room. Let's go. He's not going to be successful with the sheets turned up. But yeah, I, I think leadership comes from just 
hey, those those guys come here and work every day. Um, they they kind of put that on on themselves. They get in the front of the line. Um, they compete every day. You you have, you have your strength charts up there. You want to be on the strength board. You want to be the top dog. You want to be the top at your position, whatever. But try to create some alphas there and some leadership for sure. How else do you in your program when you, um, you know, you're a year in now at Mountain Home, you've had a chance, obviously, to really get to know the the community, the players, the families, the coaching staff that, um, you know, most of which you put together. And so when you're looking at, at players, I, I, I imagine with a football team, you need to have leaders within the players. Uh, you can't it can't be all coach led stuff all the time because, I mean, just. High school sports anyway, but especially with a football team, you've got so many kids, so many position groups, so many opportunities where there's not a coach next to them in the huddle um, after a play, all that sort of stuff. How do you how do you put together opportunities for kids to become leaders? Um, do you find yourself teaching leadership explicitly? Is it something that kids are getting implicitly through experiences with the program? What do you guys do to build leaders? I'll be honest with you, Max. That's probably one of my biggest weaknesses. Um I am so team oriented that uh, I, I, I let every one of my coaches coach their positions and I give every coach a responsibility. And and uh, sometimes I don't even know. I think they know I'm the leader, but I try to I try to just divvy out enough responsibility that all my guys are leading, you know, but I, I don't I don't do any I don't do any leadership training. and I probably should. We don't do any retreats and I probably should. I really think that's an area that, that I'm I'm kind of weak at as far as we get up, we put our shoes on, we go to work. We get up, we put our shoes on, we go to work. And, um, you know, you just that's, – that's, that's, that's one of my weaknesses. I've had that question asked to me before, and I just don't do a good job. I think that ultimately is building leadership, though, right? I mean, you're doing it implicitly. The idea of teaching a kid every day that you're going to wake up and not sleep in, uh, maybe on a weekend or so, but you're going to wake up, you're going to put your shoes on, you're going to go to work, and you're going to do that day after day consistently forever. And ultimately, that that is leadership, right? You're making, you're exemplifying for kids what you have to do in your daily life, which is get up, put your shoes on, go to work, and by the time it's all done, you've you've affected a lot of people. Yeah, I, I think so. And and then you know, in the course of it. You know, you, you kind of teach leadership by, hey, you're not working very hard. That's that's not acceptable. Um, and that that's probably one of the things that I do well is I don't allow I don't allow kids to have a bad day. I don't allow them to have a bad practice. Um, so I, I don't get a bad game on Friday, you know, um, but we, we, we're going to hold them to a high expectation. And that expectation is uh what we go by. I mean, it's, it's a daily basis. A couple things, let's say spring break. Um, I challenge my guys. You you don't need, you don't need a week off. You you need a few days off, but we're going to open the gym. Get in here. Uh, Christmas break. You don't, you don't need 14 days off. We're going to open the gym, get in here, you know? And um, what you find out is you, you, you make these guys accountable on a daily basis. They, they, uh, they're learning skills that's going to last them a lifetime. Uh, they put their teammates first. They do what their coach asks them to do. They're, they're going to be employable because they can handle it. That's that's what we try to do. I had a had a guy, my very first coaching job, a guy named Don Hamby. I got my first head coaching job, and I remember he sat me down in the office, and he said, Steve, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. He says, you, you can have a job here as long as you want it, as long as these kids are doing things right. And he says uh, – First thing it starts with your expectations. He says, "You have high expectations; they'll, they'll meet those. Those you have low expectations, Steve, they'll meet those too." <laughs> so uh, that that stuck with me right there, and uh, we keep it high all the time, all the time. I like, and I like the idea of not letting kids have a bad day. You know, the idea of you're not meeting expectations today, and as a coach, it's really easy to just look the other way and let it slide. And I think one of the maybe not difficult parts of coaching, but one of the parts where you need to be really consistent is never allowing that to happen. Right. You know, for example, if one kid's kind of slacking off today, 
if I let that happen and I don't address it, then tomorrow maybe it's two kids slacking off. And then the next day, maybe it's four and it just kind of builds and builds. And all of a sudden you look up and you're like, oh my gosh, like half my team isn't doing what they're supposed to do. And you can kind of, if you really took the time to trace it back, well, yeah, it's because you didn't address that one kid who was, who was not getting after it that day and you let it slide. And the idea of expectations of ownership, I think those are two of the biggest things we can give to kids for, for life is the idea of taking ownership for yourself and then having and holding yourself to high expectations. You're exactly right. I remember when I first came in this summer, we started our summer, summer practices. And, uh, you know, we get out there in July and it's hot, Monday. They practice horrible. Next Monday they come in, they practice horrible. Next Monday they come in, they practice horrible. You know, can't 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 rebound after a weekend. So I don't know whether they're having too much fun on the lake or I, I don't know what they're doing. So I'm, I just said, you know what? That's one of the reasons you guys are one in twenty nine in the last three years and have never won a varsity game is, is because you can't you can't come to work on Monday. I think we had three bad Monday practices and we hardly ever have bad practices. It's just, you don't allow it. You don't allow your kids to have bad days. And, uh, Hey, they, they grow from that stuff. They really, really do. They get better from that stuff. Uh, they've grown a mountain home, right? So right, we should probably go back to this. You mentioned 23 straight losses before you were hired and this, they had gone, what, I guess probably what? Oh, and 10, you guys play 10 games a year. Oh, and 10, mm-hmm. two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So two years in a row, 0 and 10, that's not pretty. You walk in the door, you start trying to change this culture. Uh, let's fast forward, fall ends. Uh, what did you guys end up doing this year? We uh, we had won 13 games in 10 years. And, you know, our, our varsity guys, our starters had never won a, a varsity game. You know, they were sophomores the last time one got, they, they'd had one. And a lot of them were playing JV ball back then. But um, we ended up six and six. Um, they hadn't, they hadn't won a playoff game, and I, I don't even know. But we got the playoffs. We won, a, won our first round of the playoffs. Uh, we, won, we won six games. We was picked dead last in the conference. Uh, there's 16 teams in the state. We was picked number 16 in the state. It's class six. Um, you know, we were just bottom feeders. And you go in and you start preaching how we're going to do this and do that and beat people and these guys are looking at me like I'm absolutely crazy. You know, you can just see it in their eyes. Does this, does this guy really think we're going to win? <laughs> <laughs> you can see it. And uh, anyway, it's awesome. At that first win, it was funny. Uh, we win and the, the crowds just kind of, they had they didn't go crazy or nothing. I'm like, what's going on here? But we're winning and, and the crowd's kind of quiet. And I guess they're just not used to it. I don't know. They but, don't know how um, to celebrate. Uh-uh, uh-uh. They hadn't done it so long. They, 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 don't, know how to, they don't know how to a rowdy, a rowdy crowd acts <laughs> at a football game. But uh, anyway, we're going to get that figured out too, Max. We're going to get that figured <laughs> out too. Uh, I believe it. I wanted to finish with this, and it's kind of bringing everything back together. Uh, you go back to your first job, Mountain View Liberty, that night, you're told by the principal, uh, you know, tomorrow or tonight, you know, at the meeting, I'm going to fight for you and you're probably going to become our new guy. And then the next day he shows up to you. I'm not meaning to laugh at you or anything, but just you've had a good career. So I think we can have a little fun with it. Oh, uh, yeah. And you're, you're fired, right? So I, I want to go all the way back through the whole thing. It, did that light a fire in you? What, you know, what was Steve Airy back then like versus who he is now? How have you changed? Like, just bring us the whole picture of as a coach, what did that? What did that experience do for you and where you are now? And how have you changed through the course of time as, as a coach? Don't take anything for granted. Don't get too comfortable. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought I was working and doing a good job. And it doesn't matter what kind of job you do. I mean, you're expendable. You are expendable. You're, and I've, I, 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 went to, I went to work every day for, for the last 33 years after that firing. I went to work every day like my job depended on it. If, if I don't do my job today, I'm going to get fired. And, uh, you know, I went, I've gone that way all my life. And that's how I started was coaching with a sense of urgency. We have to win. We have, have to win now um, or I'm not going to be able to feed my family. They're, they're going to fire me and help, help, probably pay for my U-Haul and get me out of here. So uh, I coach like that every every day. And I still coach like that because I'm, I'm wired that way. But I'm all right. 
I'm, I'm comfortable enough now with um, myself that I'll, I'll go into a program that's 0-23 and not bad an eye, you know, um, because uh, they fire me. That's all right. But it ain't going to be because we didn't win because we're going to win. Like I said, they hadn't had a winning coach at Mountain Home, had a cumulative winning record since 1988-89. When that guy left, he, he had a winning record. But um, that's a long time, 1988-89. I was in college. So that was 30-something years ago. But Steve Aries is going to be a winner. And uh, they, they made the right move, hired me, and uh, they're going to mess up if they fire me. So <laughs> I think that's, that's a good way to go through. It. Yeah, it's I'm a good not- way to go through every day, man. It, it, <laughs> it grounds you, I think. It brings you back and makes you stay focused and doesn't let you lower your own like personal expectations for yourself. Yeah. But uh, I am. I'm going to coach every day like my job depends on it. And uh, – I'm not, I'm not going to give Mountain Mountain Home a bad day, and uh, I'm not going to give those kids a bad day. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on. I wanted to give you one last chance, maybe looking back through your career, uh, looking through your own experiences, both both personal experiences and and coaching experiences, and just kind of hand the mic over to you and and let you kind of share anything that maybe we missed today that you might think could be valuable for coaches, young or old, or or anybody in between. I want I want to talk about you as a coach. You know, when you go to coach, you you can't emulate the last guy or the guy that coached you or, or anything of that nature. You you have to have your own philosophy, your own core values, your own belief system, um, your personality. Your personality. You have to you have to coach with uh, tremendous effort. They're they're, they're going to be a reflection of you. Um, they need to be physical. They need to be competent. They need to have some swagger. Um, if you don't coach with emotion, you, you got a team with no emotion. If you coach with a lot of emotion, you got a team with some juice now. Um, professional development. You, you, we don't get enough time with our kids and our wives and our families, but but you have to always – the game is always changing. You have to find a way to, to engage in personal development. Um, and then the last thing I, I want to mention is relationships. Um, that's the most important thing. Every kid needs a relationship with their coach. They may not have that dad at home or they may have a tough, tough life. Or, but I, 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 tell my, I tell my son, he's trying to make it in the music business right now, and I said, man, it's about relationships and networking. You know, you want to you you get to know people that's going to help you grow and you want to develop a relationship with every kid that walks through the door. We, we coach them tough, but we love them too. So – um, I, I think that's all that I have, and I really appreciate you having me on here. I, I enjoy talking, talking philosophy of coaching. Well, I loved having you on, and that brings me back this idea of coaching with with a little bit of swagger. I happened upon a video of you. Uh, I think it was this past fall, but I can't remember. Is on on Twitter, and uh, in the video, you're standing in front of an airplane at your school. <laughs> and you're uh, saying a bunch of stuff to your football program. They're all in buses. Uh, it kind of makes people want to run through a wall sort of a thing. Yeah, so I just have to have to give you a chance real quick to explain. There's an airplane on your campus. Our, uh, our mascot is the Bombers. So it's an old, it's an old uh, airplane, I guess, retired airplane. So they've, they've got it up and uh, that that's our mascot, the Bombers. So, uh, Anyway, that sits right in the center of the school. We have a circle drive, and that plague's right in the middle. And, and that was our playoff game. Um, they told me, said, uh, Coach, um, we're going to have a send-off for you guys. Um, I want you guys to drive around the circle drive, and I want you to get off the bus and say something. I, I had about five minutes to think and, and do this. I said, what am I going to do to get this crowd fired up? For this playoff game, they, they, didn't, they didn't give me any warning. Make sure you – we're getting on the bus, and they say, hey, you need to circle around the circle drive here and uh, you need to say something. I was all right with just circling around it, but they said, now you got to get off the bus and say something. So I just told the guys, I said, man, just follow me on this, would you please? I said, this is going to be nuts. I didn't prepare for this. But anyway, I, that, that's, that's right. We, we try to get them to run through walls. Guys, if you can get them to run through a wall, you got them. You got them hooked, they'll run through walls. Well, Steve, I appreciate you coming on. I think you are really inspirational. I think it it helps 
give listeners a chance to to understand that you can build a winning a winning program and wielding a, a winning culture even in communities that maybe don't have a, a history of it and you've kind of proven that not just once or twice but three or four times in your career and just the idea of not giving up on kids not giving up on communities and helping them kind of regain their confidence and their swagger and, and learning how to win and learning how to be successful people and I think it's gonna play out for a lot of generations to come because of the kids and families and communities that you've you've helped to affect so I, I knew you'd be a good guest. I knew you'd have a lot to offer. I didn't realize it'd be so so full of of inspirational moments and gold and connecting back to a time that you were fired. And I don't think there's any more inspiration than that. Guy gets fired and goes on to become a Hall of Fame coach. So uh, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing some of your some of your career's uh, lessons and advice with us and doing so from a hotel out out with your uh, your son who's a musician. So thank you so much for coming on the show. All right. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. And that, as they say, is that. I can't thank you enough for tuning in for another episode of The Club. Whether you've been listening from the very beginning, back in September of 2020, or this was your first episode, or if you're somewhere anywhere in between, I want you in the High School Coaches Club. Hit that link in the show notes or go to highschoolcoachesclub.com to join for free. You'll become an instant member of the National Network of High School Coaches and you'll receive the weekly newsletter. All for the price of, well, nothing. Except, you know, 90 seconds of your time. Secondly, if you or anyone you know would be a good fit as a guest of a future episode, um, I'm thinking coaches, trainers, administrators, athletic directors, uh, even players, uh, high school players. How cool would that be? Um, Go ahead and do me a favor and reach out. Uh, You can contact me through the website, again, that's highschoolcoachesclub.com, via email, and that's max at highschoolcoachesclub.com, or Twitter, and that's at Mr. Max Price. You can also follow the club on all the major social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And as we let the ending tunes roll, take a moment today to reach out to someone who's helped you along your own path in coaching, playing, or whatever it is that you happen to be doing. And say thanks. It would mean a lot to them. So thanks again for listening, and as Coach Lee would say, loving you.